everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. Comedy's like boxing, you know, you gotta adjust. You gotta be able to adjust, like the audience, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm B. Moore, and welcome to Conversations. Doctors now say that laughter is good for our health. Even the Bible says laughter is like good medicine. And if you believe any of that, my next guest uses jokes like prescriptions and the stage as his operating table. You know, Syracuse is trying to make the city more white people friendly. <laughs> There's a lot of construction going on in the city trying to make it real pretty and shit. They, you know, like, about 10, I don't know how long ago it was, like, when's the last time, like, we needed bike lanes? Like, when Syracuse was just strictly black, they didn't give a fuck where you rode your bike back. <laughs> Buy that shit in the middle of the street, they didn't give a fuck. You hit my time. Go ahead. You know who you supposed to ride. Because we knew where to run and ride our bike at. On the side of the road. Uh, I'm Travis Blunt, comedian, uh, right here in Syracuse, New York. 315. Thank you, Travis, for being on Conversations with B. Moore. And, you know, I'd like to start out by asking you. How did you discover comedy? Well, I, since I was a kid, I was always a fan of comedy. Uh, just growing up, just just watching, you know, HBO used to always have stand-up, uh, you know, improv, a lot of stuff. Just growing up, a fan of comedy, man. Uh, Comic View, One Night Stand, uh, Def Jam. Just, just I loved comedy. Never saw myself doing it as a comedian. So, you know, I just found it. I always had the ability to make people laugh. So, uh, you know, I tried it out. So when did you decide to pursue it as a career, or was there like a shift where you just <clears throat> Yeah, that? I mean, I, like I said, I didn't grow up wanting to be a comedian, always a fan of comedy. I, I grew up actually uh, wanting to play football, and football is my, my first love. Like, uh, just growing up playing it, uh, played it in uh, high school, was pretty good at it, had a football scholarship to uh, University of Virginia, and um, just messed up. Uh, my school just messed up my scholarship, lost my scholarship, man. And uh, so it was like 2021, 20, what you gonna do with the rest of your life? Nothing, uh, bunch of depression, uh, probably uh, woeful pityness, pity on me, pity parties. It's like you messed up your life. And But I still, through all the whole time, had the ability to make people laugh. And I guess my epiphany came when I was uh, about six, nine years ago, I was working at Tops. I was maybe like 32, 33 years old, working at Tops overnight stock market, uh, stock on the shelves. And I was just like, God didn't put me on this earth, the stock shelves. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, like he didn't put me on this earth. Like, you know, I'm too talented to be wasting away interchanging dog food. So I just went home that night, uh, that morning, actually. I got off about four or five o'clock in the morning, went home. Turned it on TV and Comedy Central. I turned it to Comedy Central. It was just stand up up there. And I was like, wow, okay. Stand up. I'll do stand He wasn't making me laugh, but I was just like, I could get on TV and not make people laugh. So I was just like, let me let me go and try this comedy. So I went down. To, I found out there was an open mic here in Syracuse. Uh, Wise Guys is no longer here. But they had open mics on Wednesday. And I, I went down there. And the rest is history. And I've been hooked ever since. It was like the best natural high I've ever had since playing football. Like, to get a room full of people to laugh is mind-blowing. And when they don't laugh, it's humbling. It's the most humbling thing in the world because you're the only one on stage. And, you know, every, everybody's looking at you. Like, you got to entertain them 
for 5, 20, you know, 30, 40 minutes or whatever. And, you know, when you don't, it's humbling. And, but when you do, it's, it's hardly anything more gratifying than that. Sure, sure. And I just want you to mention, you know, for my listeners, some of the things that you've been able to accomplish since you made that shift and you, you okay. started uh, pursuing comedy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, almost immediately, like uh, three weeks into comedy, right from uh, like open mic, there was, I was heard about these auditions Syracuse University was having because Damon Wayne's one of the uh, big name legends in the game. He was coming at Syracuse. He was doing a uh, comedy show at Syracuse and they were auditioning for his opening act. So initially, I wasn't I wasn't going to audition because it's like I just started comedy, like I have no business auditioning. But Anna Anna Phillips, who who was um, hosting the show that we were just at recently, she uh, encouraged me to do it. Like she's like, no, nah, you should try it. So I tried it, and I actually made the audition. So I went from open mic, well, was maybe ten, fifteen, maybe fifteen people in a bar setting to performing from a thousand people at Shrine Auditorium. They wanted me to do 10 minutes, which felt like three hours at the time. Like, I don't even know how I did. It was a blur that night. I was so nerve-wracking. But uh, that was like the first major experience, and I was so shook, I couldn't even really enjoy the moment. And um, I did the Cleveland Comedy Festival. I did festivals that went to Cleveland, uh, D.C., Baltimore. I've worked with some of the funniest comedians, funniest, met some of the funniest people, like especially the... Working with comedians you've seen on TV, like Lavelle Crawford, um, Lonnie Love, uh, um, uh, Dave Couillet, you remember Uncle Joey from uh, Full House, and Kevin Nealon, and um, Tony Rock, and um, so many. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting a few names, but uh, it's just amazing just to be working with uh, uh, people you've seen on TV. I mean, you never think, like, you know, I'm... 2015, whatever, X amount of years ago, you're like watching them on TV and then fast forward, you're working with them or on the same stage with them or sharing the stage, same room with them or talking to them or getting advice from them. So it, it was, you know, it's, comedy's been a blessing. Nice, very nice. Let me ask you from, from some of those names, what's been the best advice that you've been given so far? Uh, Guy Tory told me one time, because I, I, uh, I asked him, I was like, how, how you know, because I was, I was a, Young comedy, still still young in the game, relatively. You know, they say your years in the comedy game, how old you are. So technically, I guess I'm nine years old. So, so you know, I was just asking him because you know, just performing in front of in the same room, and I was just asking him like, when you perform, do you worry about performing in front of the same people ever? Like, yeah, you know, I just I didn't. I asked him that. And he's like, well, you're never gonna get the same group of people in the same room twice. So, I mean, you know, which may, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, no many times you perform in one spot, you'll never get the same group of people. So no matter if, you know, you heard my joke before, they probably never heard the joke before or whatever. So you just got to get in that mindset of doing you and not worrying about if people heard your jokes before and stuff. And Tony Rock said a, another thing to me, I remember. It's like, bo- comedy's like boxing. You know, you got to adjust. You got to be able to adjust, like the audience. Like, you know what I'm saying? You... You know, it's uh, you. Something might not be working, so you got to be able to uh, adjust. It's just like boxing. If your left's not working, do your right. If the right's not working, do an uppercut. If the uppercut's not working, just do a cross or whatever. So you know, it's just be able to take the flow, move with the flow with the audience, and you know, be like water. I guess. Sure. No, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. You know. I mean, I saw you uh, do your routine mm-hmm. the other night, and that was wonderful. I thought you did a great job. And I, and I want to ask you some things about that routine, because one of the things that I noticed mm-hmm. uh, right off the bat 
was that you are unapologetically right. biracial. Unapologetically. I mean, you can't be nothing but it. You know, I mean, because it's so much of your life experience is, is based off of like, like the joke I was saying about how my white side gets more respect. It's always been the case, no matter what. I, the joke I say when I'm, I'm growing up in, in the hood and all my friends, like we're sitting around and random conversations, N-word, 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 and right before they say something bad about white people, they turn to me and be like, no disrespect to your moms. Like, you know, those are real things, and white people do the same thing, because I've been at job places where, where crack jokes, or I'll crack jokes on my black coworkers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I start talking about my white coworkers, they'll ha, laughing and stopping and be like, hey, but you're white too. So, so it's just, it's like, it's, these are true stories and it's just like, hold up, hold up. Like, if you're going to laugh at me, laugh at all of me. Don't pick and choose what side you're going to laugh at. Like, you understand what I'm saying? So it's, you know, it is what it is. My mom said the funniest to me one time. I was off to college and she said, uh, now don't come home with no white girl. I'm like, mom, but you white. Yeah, I know how we <laughs> is. We'll <laughs> you up. <laughs> Funny stuff, man. Funny stuff. Funny stuff, man. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, because you, you, your, your jokes got to come from experiences. Like, when you starting out, like, you hear finding your voice. And that's what I'm still trying to do is find my comedic voice, trying to be comfortable on stage or in front of a group of people. Because if you're nervous or you're not confident about your joke, the audience can tell. They'll tell. So it doesn't matter if you have funny stuff or not. Like, if you're not confident, if you're not presenting it in a confident way, the audience is not going to, they're not going to laugh or you're not going to bring them on that ride with you. So, yeah, I mean, biracial is who I am. I, you know, it's, it's, it's experiences. You know, if you could talk about your experiences and make them relatable in a way that everybody, like you seen the room, it was, it was a mixed crowd, black, yes. white, and everybody was laughing. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? So that's what you want to do. You want to have these experiences where both everybody in the room could relate to. Even if they can't personally relate, they could understand what you're trying to do with the joke and laugh with it because, you know, hey man, got a life is full of laughter. No, that's great. And you talk about, a lot about growing up and that experience. And... You know, I think about today's climate, though, with mm -hmm. everything that's going on and how, how seemingly, at least, things are becoming so separated. And mm -hmm. How do you reconcile that in, in terms of your comedy in that context, in terms of, the, uh, of your race? Um, okay, well, I have some college, so I'm, I'm going to try to answer that question the best I understood it. <laughs> like, like what? Hold on there. <laughs> Let me look at this stuff. What do you say? Translation. What do you say now? <laughs> How does being black and white help you deal with the shit today? Like, let me see. <laughs> translation. Yeah. How does it be? Is that what it mean? I right. interviews for dummies. That's why I should have. I should have got that book. No. I seen it. <laughs> now, nah, but uh, I guess I guess just be either it's who I am or it. I don't know the science behind it being biracial or just who I am. I always try to give the person the benefit of the doubt. No matter, you know, who you are, what you are. We've all started jobs where, you know, or we've been someplace. Or, you know, just start jobs because it's, it's a simple analogy. Like, and it'll tell you, this coworker's that or this coworker's that. Like, let me see why. Let me let me judge for myself. So, I don't know if that's me being biracial, but I'm always, I'm always giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. Like, I, you know, there might be a reason why you don't like person A. Like, you know, I might not like person A in six months either. So, you know what I'm saying? So, give me a chance to meet and greet everybody. Like, I don't automatically assume uh, this person's uh, a bad person because they're white. I don't assume this person is a bad person because they're black or Puerto Rican, whatever. I just, whatever. Like, you know, if you treat me good, I, you're a good person to me. I don't know nothing about it. I just, you know, I just try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and... uh 
you know, treat people how I want to be treated. I think that's a good approach regardless of, yeah. you know, where, where you're coming from in terms of your race. I mean, that's a good approach. I mean, I'm, 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 I hope they give out reparation checks. I'm seeing, I'm anxious to see what mine's going to look like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> be a 20% discount. Yeah, you, we going to mark off 50% from your check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be interesting. <laughs> no, this is crazy. This is everything, man. I see you know, this is trying to make surgery to a white people friendly city, and I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. My white side is my black side. You know, I'm biracial. <laughs> <laughs> and my white side is just talking about white people. My white side always had a lot more respect than my black side did growing up. Always. And I grew up in the hood south side, and a normal conversation amongst my friends would probably be like this. Random conversation, you know, I hate those man. Those be on my nerve. Word up, I can't stand them. And right before they say something bad about white, white people, they look at me and be like, yo, no disrespect about white people. No respect to your moms. No respect to your moms. Those be on that too. No, but my father got feelings, like, you know what? I know you don't want to hurt my mom's feelings, but we just hurt my father's feelings for a half hour. Hi, I'm Brian Moore, owner of More About You, the producer of Conversations with yours truly, Be More. First, I'd like to thank you for listening to our program. But secondly, I'd like to call something to your attention. Just like my guest, I believe that many of you listening have incredible life stories to share. You see, More About You was started on the simple belief that everyone, and I mean everyone, has a story to tell. Unfortunately, many of those stories are lost and never shared nor passed down to future generations. More About You can help preserve those personal tales in ways that can be enjoyed in the present and also used to educate in the future. I invite you to go to my website, www.moreaboutyou.com to see how I've done this for others. And you can call me at 315-863-2466 to discuss how I can do the same for you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, back to conversations. So, you know, another thing I noticed about your comedy is your knowledge of current events. Like, you're, you're up on what's going on as far as I-81 and, you know, the city's trend towards making Syracuse a more bike-friendly mm-hmm. community. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask, how does what, what's going on around you, your current climate, how does that play into how you develop your, your act? Or your it, it goes back to what we were talking about before, life experiences. Like, you see the stuff happening. Like, they, it seemed like they only started caring about Syracuse when white people decided to come back. You know, white flight was when the term they used when white people left the city and they left. They didn't care what they left behind looked like, you know, jobs, vacant buildings. Like I said, uh, they didn't care where you rode your bike. You weave. They didn't care. There was no lanes. There were no traffic laws. They didn't care about nothing. And then I don't know when it happened. I don't know if the the powers that be got together like, yo, we need they got a, a conference call. So let's we need to move back. And then slowly but slowly, they call it gentrification. So white flight in reverse is gentrification, right. where they where they buy up projects. I don't know what they do with the people. I don't know if they bury them in the back. I don't know what they do with them, but they 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 buy up projects and put stuff there, and 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 they, and they add in 
you know, cam- security cameras are every everywhere. Like, you know, and, and they, they're, they're going to build a canoe walk over there. You understand what I'm saying? Like, they're going to be canoeing on the south side. <laughs> yeah. The hell is that? They're going to be canoeing in some sewage water. Been, that water been dirty my whole life. As soon as white people decide to move back, oh, we got to clean this up. You understand what I'm saying? We got to clean it. They even named, when did they even have a, uh, they didn't even let us know when they changed Castle Street to MLK. You just had to, be, good thing you didn't get shot. Like, where you at on Mount Castle? We don't know where Castle is. <laughs> what you mean? I'm on Castle Street, sir. There is no Castle Street. You're going to die because they didn't rename Castle Street MLK, but they didn't tell you. So now you can't tell the N911 that you on MLK. They're like, they didn't even tell you that. Like, so it's just like, you know, they, they do stuff around the city. You can see it. Like, I didn't, you know, they want to know, well, I-81. And all I know is the bridge been there my whole life. I don't know what Syracuse is supposed to look like. I don't know why you want to turn that part of the town into a, a Erie Boulevard when it's completely a different scenario. Because if you took 690 West away from Erie Boulevard, it'll be so much traffic going down Erie Boulevard. But the fact... That 690 runs parallel to, to, to Erie Boulevard. There's not that traffic. And they're up there saying, like, like you ever notice when they ever closed part of that bridge down near that Brighton exit? It's so much traffic going down Salina Street. It's crazy. Now, just imagine there's no other bridge that's going to take that traffic away from that boulevard they're trying to build down there. Or this community grid. I still don't know what that is. Right. Like, what are, they, what are you going to be building? So... You know, they just, it's just traffic. We don't care how much traffic. They, you, you're turning a residential neighborhood into a, to like an area boulevard. That almost seems like, what, what stores are you going to put on there? More, more Tully's? More Applebee's? Another family dollar? A dollar tree? Like, these are the businesses you bring in this. On Salina Street, there's more dollar stores and family dollars than there is supermarkets. So, it's almost like they're saying, we don't care if you're hungry, as long as you got a shirt and some pants. Well, you know, the, the thing that I noticed, and, and you know, I mean, you know, listeners may agree or disagree with, with your interpretation or your take on it, but here's the thing that I noticed is that you're given a real critical look at something that's affecting people's lives. Yeah. This is going to affect people's lives. Yeah, it is. One way or the other. And your gift is that you're able to take that and turn it around and make it light and funny and be able to, to yeah, laugh at it laugh at it and also i'm, I'm getting there where i could get more political i don't get too political because i don't know how to get political and make it funny without it sounding uh preachy right now like you know how dl is he's dl is a legend he's been doing it 30 years he makes it look easy mm-hmm. so i'm just trying to get to it because you know there's stuff i want to talk about too but i don't know how to say it without it coming off as mean or preachy so you know i just i just wait sit on it until i'm, I'm ready to talk about it but I mean, the bridge thing is real because when they tear it down, I mean, all that asbestos and cement smoke, it going somewhere. It ain't just going to go, you know, into the air. It's going to go out, spread out through the whole south side and everything. And all those people down there are going to be living in that dust. It took them how long? They still fishing 690. And that's just part of the bridge. They talking about taking this whole bridge down. So how long that's going to How many years that's going to take? It's going to be a few years. A few years. Yes. And in that time, they're going to, they're going to re-divert traffic what, through the city. So it's just going to be so busy down Salina Street and people, kids playing there and stuff. And and that's you. They buy up all this property. They, you know, they're tax-free. They buy up all this property. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm talking about, it's almost like you can't even find a place to live no more. When you sit there thinking they're building apartment buildings, you find out they're just for students. You're like, this far into the city? Like, they're just buying up everything. 
and they pay no taxes. No taxes. Don't you think some of that money SU get could help fix the roads in this city? Like, you want to do, like, this the only city ain't got much. That's what it seems like, because between SU buying up everything and these apartment buildings, all of a sudden they're fixing downtown up with, like, who's affording that stuff? Like, who's affording that stuff, you know? But those are things that, you know, everyone Mm -hmm. uh, should be taking a look at and should be noticing. I'm going to move on now. I want to ask you about other comedians. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what comedians do you aspire to be like? Well, I aspire to be the the best comedian I could be because, you know, it's, uh, you can't be like somebody, um... You could study somebody. It's like when I played football, you watch tape. Like, uh, I played DB in college, so I'd watch tapes of other DBs, pro DBs, and how they played coverage and how they So That's what I do. You just watch the pros um, and see how they hold the bike, how they walk the stage, how they tell a joke. Um, it's just, you know, same thing with, you know, watching tape. You're just seeing how the pros do it and then trying to do it. Not necessarily being like somebody, but seeing how they do it and doing it your way, like, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different running backs. We could get caught up being like, I want to be a comedian like him or I want to be like, them. you know, there's all different, you know, uh, you could be a speedy running back, a shifty or power back, you know, be the best running back you could be. If you're a speedy running back, don't try to run people over. If you're a ru- if you run people over, don't try to run by people. Like, be the best version of you you can be. Like, I, you know, I, you just, I want to tell a joke like him or I want to be like him and then. You just realize I just got to be the best me because if I try to be like somebody else, I'll never be me. I'll never be authentic on that stage. Tell me some of your favorites and, and who makes you laugh the most. Talent is freaking hilarious. I, I just, just because I had a chance to watch him personally, I know he's a, he's a friend of mine. And just because I've, I've seen him work, he's Tony Rock is another one. You know, we're cool and stuff, friend. So, um... Because you can watch them on TV, a comedian on TV, but watching them live is a completely different energy, man. It's a completely different beast. Uh, you know, so, you know, talent, um, Earthquake, uh, DL, they're just so hilarious, man. They they make you be like, I'll never be that. They'll make you question no matter what. They'll, they'll make you question you. But, you know, they're, they're pros. They've been doing 20, 30 years, so. But I like what you say about, you know, the, the whole idea that you, you keep your authenticity. Yeah, and you study from them, you know. Because in the beginning, you just you're just you don't you're not you're not sure. You're just telling jokes. You know, you may even sound like your favorite comedian. Subcon, you know, like you don't even know you're sounding like or mimicking them on stage or whatever. You don't even know that, right? You just and then you do it enough, and then you realize, like, uh, because everybody talks about the same stuff. Like, you know, especially coming up, people said, "Oh, you stole that," or this, that, and and some, especially when you're starting out. It could be the case because you could have heard something from a comedian years ago and, you know, you're saying it and you didn't even realize he said it or you heard it from that person or it could be the same experience. But, you know, um, until you get good at it or better at it, I should say, just tell your experience your way. Like, you know, I'm not the only one with weed jokes. I'm not the only one out there with biracial or, or, or dealing with a relationship. But if you just tell the jokes your way, from your experience and your point of view, then um, nobody can ever say you're stealing. Mm. And if you're just joining us, welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, B. Moore. My guest for today is Travis Blunt, and we're talking about his comedic endeavors.
Yeah, I did. I did hard to say. I forgot to mention that too when he was asking me some of the things that comedy got me. How yeah, I don't know how I forget I was on TV. I was on Comedy Central with Kevin Hart. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just how you forget that? I don't know. I don't know, but I did. But yeah, <laughs> met Kevin Hart. Yeah, that's awesome though, man. That's 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 great. That's great. But comedy can be a hard business, man. I I, I think. I, I mean, from the outside looking in, I, I know maybe a comedian or two. But do you look at your fellow showmen and women? And think about some of the pitfalls that they experience in terms of, you know, drugs, depression, and so on, and or see how these these different things play out in their lives, and how does that affect you? Um, yeah, well, uh, I think all comedians come from a, a dark place. Like you can't just be a happy person your whole life and just want to do comedy. I, mean, I, I haven't heard of it. Most of the comedians, I've. Uh, I'll come, I'm not talking about the big name ones. I'm just talking about you know comedians that you, you meet at the open mics or, or just whatever doing doing shows, that you know we all got some issue in our life and you know we we gotta find the stage. Like I did it. I was unhappy with my life. This was my way out. There's no guaranteed pay in this. Sometimes you uh, you'll 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 be in the red before you even get back in the black. You know you you could drive three hours just for stage time. You could drive somewhere just for twenty dollars in a drink. You know, it's, it's a bunch of things. You just keep plugging away. But the the thing about it is uh, Chris Rock told me one. I read, he didn't tell me. I read in a magazine and he said, if you're doing good things, the money will come. So I just try to focus on that stuff. And as far as the drugs and stuff, I'm not worried about it. I'm not a big drinker. I, yeah, I've never done any hard drugs in my life. And, you know, hard drugs, nothing, you know. I don't need nothing hard, man. Life is hard enough to need hard drugs. Okay. What has been the highlight of your career to date? What have what has been Oh, the highlight time? easily has been uh on Comedy Central meeting Kevin Hart, uh the the Heart of the City auditions, uh which were last year. I was at one of them crossroads and um I was at home. I was just like I don't know what cuz I at the time I was uh, banned from Funny Bone and um I was just, just trying to find stage time and just what you going how I'm going to do it even even though, uh, you know, there's this is a marathon. Even though we want to sprint, you know, some it's like in life where, you know, some people graduate from college at 14 years old. They can make the normal person. So see somebody at, get a, a master's at 14, and you're still trying. You're a freshman at 18. It doesn't matter. You, you you still get your master's. I mean, you know, and same thing in comedy. Some people do it for a year and blow up. And it could friggin' around and, and crush your dreams. Like, oh, what the heck? Like, there's, it'd take you 10 years to get where, you know. So I was wondering what, how I'm going to get the next step in my, my career. And I was, you know, just keep applying for festivals. And talent called me up. And he was just like, yo, they're doing the Heart of the City season three auditions for Rochester. And I was just like, that was a sign. It was, it was, a, it was a great deal. I mean, because I just got done watching season one and two of Heart of the City and I was just like wow I was like I wonder how they got on there and it'd be cool to be on there and blah 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 I was saying all this stuff and to finally get the opportunity so it was in Rochester and Rochester got some funny comedians so it's like I was the only one from Syracuse everybody else was there's a one comedian from Buffalo a few from Niagara Falls everybody everybody else was from Rochester and um, it was a, a two-day audition, one audition each day. Like, my group went on Sunday. There was another group of people that auditioned on Monday. Mm-hmm. And what they did was tape all the audition, tape each, everybody, and send them out to L.A. And Kevin Hart and his team picked who they wanted. 
first uh, talent told us they're taking four. So I was like, okay, I got a chance. Because, you know, you're like, all right, I know this person's funny. I know that person's funny. If I, you know, I think I can get three or four, you know, but when we get there, He's like, oh, they're only going to take three. So that put more pressure because there's some funny people in Rochester. And the beautiful thing about this audition was it wasn't an audience vote. Like the audience didn't vote, which was good because no matter how good you do, like a Rochester crowd there, I mean, the crowd's going to pick their people. Like, I mean, it is, you know, it is what it is. Unless you just have one of those outstanding A-level sets, like they're going to pick their hometown people because I've had good sets before in competitions in Rochester and, and didn't win. And, you know, not because anything else. I think you know, the other communities were funny too. So, you know, the, the Rochester going to pick their home people, but they didn't have a say in this, <laughs> which was good, which was good for me. I mean, I just went out there and enjoyed the show. So the only thing you had to do was just pray that, you know, it went well when Kevin Hart seen it. So you were waiting on the, like, you're just waiting. Now is the wait. Like, you do the audition you know, you know what I'm saying? You, they send the tapes out. Now you just wait. Like, you hear good things, but you don't want to count your blessings before they come, right? So sure. I'm at work, and um, I get a, a phone. Phone's ringing, and it's a strange number. And I didn't, almost didn't answer it because I thought it was one of them spam calls. I thought, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. someone told me to answer it. So I answered it, and it was just like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? This is uh, such and such. This is Stacey from uh, Heart of the City. Just want to let you know you made it. And it's like, I just... I started crying, man, because it was uh, it's like, wow, I'm about to be on TV. Like, it was like, it was just like, it almost felt felt like being drafted, even though no money came with it. Like, you know, we got paid, but it wasn't life-changing money. Nothing really changed, you know what I'm saying? But it was just a, a great opportunity, a big, a launching pad. And and then, you know, they fly us out to L.A. because we, you know, we, t- we taped, actually, you know, we taped the show in Rochester. Uh, with Joey Wells, who's one of the Plastic Cut boys and one of the executive producers of the show, a uh, very cool guy. We taped with him in Rochester. That's you know, had to put TV makeup on, which is uh, never had that on before. And, and then like a uh, month later, they flew us out to LA to meet Kevin Hart. It was my first time out in LA, and. It was a a two it was a two snack flight. I ain't never been on no two snack flight where they they passed the snack around twice. I was like, yo, what? We get penis again, yo? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and um, we stayed like it was my first time out in L.A. We stayed in this like it was like a five star hotel. I, like they really like made us feel like stars. Like it felt great. Nice. Yeah, we was out there for four days. Indoor outdoor pool, it was nice. Then we we meet Kevin Hart, and he's just like the coolest dude. He was real cool, man, down to earth, and which made it easy to talk. Like he was, it wasn't one of those where we were all engaging when the camera was on, and then when they yelled cut, he'd go to his phone and not talk. Nah, the whole time he was just talking, talking, talking. You making it easy. Nice. So when they yelled, you know, lights, camera, action, or whatever, it was just you know business talking as normal, even though. It was kind of nerve-wracking because, you know, I was kind of sweating. I don't know if it was the TV makeup or whatever. But, I mean, they, like, don't be awestruck. But it's like, oh, man, it's like the number one entertainer in the world. And he's just a real cool guy. He's short, but, you know, his money long. So, right. <laughs> his, his, his money tall. Definitely. <laughs> but a very nice guy, man. And and it came on TV. It's still on demand. You could go, either go to uh, ComedyCentral.com and, and go to Heart of the City Rochester, I think it's episode five. Or you can go on uh, Comedy Central On Demand and 
go to Harder City, Rochester, episode five. So you can either go to the website, ComedyCentral.com, or go on your TV on demand. It's still on there, man. Hopefully they keep it rolling. I like. I want as many people to watch it and let me know. <laughs> like I remember, she brought home this Brita thing. You know, Brita, Brita, like filter, whatever. I, like, I'm just like, I'm just used to water, like you know, tap water, water. She brought this Brita shit home one time, right? And I didn't know what the big deal about it was, but I had some. That shit tastes like heaven. <laughs> it tastes like it came like Jesus put his thumb in it before you pour it. So let me ask you this, Travis. What do you hope to ultimately accomplish as a comedian? Well, I wanna, <clears throat> I wanna become a headliner. I want, I want get as good as I can, become a headliner, and then try to move on. You know, to TV or, or something. I, I did a couple uh, extra work, and uh, I did um, Escape from Denimore, that Showtime series with uh, Ben Stiller was directing, and uh, Benicio del Toro was uh, starring in, and I and I and <laughs> I got background in that. The, the auditions way up in Plattsburgh, and it was a cool experience to be on a, a set and see how, you know, behind the scenes stuff is, and how they'll retake the same scene fifteen different times from. You know, it was so, and I even got screen. I'm even on the show. I got a screenshot, and I got the little thing of me on, on the TV. It's just my shoulder and my back, but it's me. <laughs> well, like we filmed it actually in um, Clinton Max, like the actual yard of the prison up there. We filmed it. It was which was crazy. It was a uh, crazy experience and I did the I did, did extra work in this other movie with uh Jeff Goldblum was starring in The Mountain they, they did that like last I think it was a couple years ago or last year or whatever they were shooting that and um I acted my way into a scene I don't know if they actually made the cut I have to see the movie I think the movie came out in a limited release like a couple weeks ago I want to see the movie and see if I made the cut Hopefully I get it, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully they get my scene in there. I'm not sure. I got to watch the movie. I got to find it. It's called The Mountain. I, I, there's trailers for it on YouTube. I, I think it opened up in limited release a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm going to find it and watch that movie just to see if I made the cut in the editing room. The goal is to eventually get out to Hollywood. Um, I, I want to get out there sometime in the fall or, or spring, fly out there for a week or two and, and try to hit the clubs up there. But, um, like Joey Wells told me, the grind is to get the next TV credit. Like, it took me nine years to get this one. Don't know how long it's going to take the next one, but you just keep plugging away, keep getting better, and try to put yourself in a position to take advantage of the next opportunity. Um, I'm, you know, I'll be in Ithaca next month, um, Watertown the month after that. Uh, I applied for a few festivals. So, waiting to hear back from them. And, you know, and hopefully I want to do another show here in Syracuse. So, uh, and you know, each you know, the next show will be a lot better because we we know what we did wrong. We know we know what we gotta do right for the next show, and and just put out good stuff, man. I'll be at Funny Bone end of this month, uh, August thirtieth through September first. I'll be hosting for Godfrey. So uh, you know, I don't know when this is coming out, but everybody come out to that show. I know the State Fair is gonna be here. Everybody wants to do that, but the State Fair is always here. You you could just nine twelve days of it. But Travis. <clears throat> I just want to say thank you for being on my show, on my program today. Mm -hmm. I wish you the best of luck in your professional career as you go forward with this. I, all I can tell you is just stay determined. Stay determined, man, because 
I think with the determination that you hold, you can't have nothing but good things happen for you. No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you, man. Um, anybody out there, man, follow me on IG uh, at underscore Travis Blunt. Spelled exactly how it sounds. And, uh, you know, I, I'll keep you updated on there, man. Thank you, Brian, man. Keep doing your thing as well. And thank you for coming to the show, man. I'm glad you had a good time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, bro. Appreciate it. Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.